I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26, Solomon writes, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Solomon's in the middle of this second section of the book in which he's using contrasts to teach us wisdom. However, we have to note, first and foremost, that this is one of those rare verses in this section in which no contrast is explicitly made. Anyone who's ever tried drinking straight vinegar or who's tried walking into a smoke-filled room can probably relate to what Solomon is saying here. When vinegar is consumed straight, it tastes absolutely horrible. The fumes alone are enough to make a person cough or even choke. In fact, the taste of vinegar is so strong and so bad, it's almost painful. And it's so bad, it makes your teeth feel like they're shriveling up. That's probably why the Roman guard thought it would be funny and simultaneously unbelievably cruel to offer Jesus a sponge soaked in vinegar as he was being crucified. Similarly, smoke causes the eyes to either tear up or close altogether because it's painful to the eye. I remember working in the casinos in Las Vegas years ago and having players intentionally blow smoke in my face. And this is actually an age-old trick that was used to cause the dealer to close their eyes. Before there were video surveillance systems monitoring every single square inch of the casino, this type of tactic would give players enough time to switch or trade cards and thus give them an advantage to win. Now it's primarily just a superstition. But both of these elements, smoke and vinegar, are used to illustrate the irritation caused by a lazy person. Their laziness is painful for the person who employs them. Taking one's time, dragging their feet, doing things with only half of an effort, these are things that lazy employees do and are completely contrary to Christian ethics and spiritual morality. Rather than giving only half of an effort at work, we should remember to do things always as representatives of Christ. There's not an on and off switch when we're supposed to be a light for Christ. The world is watching us 24-7. For that reason, as Paul told us in his letter to the Colossians, whatever you do, do your work heartily, as if for the Lord rather than for men. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, here in this verse, Solomon resumes his use of contrasts as a means of teaching us wisdom. Literally translated, this verse would be contrasting the days rather than the life of those who fear the Lord with the years of the wicked, those who don't fear the Lord. But whether it's days or years or just life in general, the span of one's life is what's being referred to here. Now, we should remember also that this isn't a magical formula to having a a long life. Righteous people sometimes die young, and wicked people sometimes live live long lives. There are obviously exceptions to this rule, but the point that Solomon's trying to make here is that, generally speaking, as a general rule of thumb, the righteous person who fears the Lord will live longer because they'll avoid activities and behaviors which can lead to early or premature death. But forget quantity of life for a moment, being that there are exceptions to the rule. One rule that has no exceptions is that the quality of a righteous life far outweighs the quality of the wicked life because there's no true happiness without a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28, Solomon writes, The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. Hope and expectations, these are things that we actually all have, whether we mean to or not. God created us to have aspirations so that we can marvel at what God is capable of doing through our human hands. The danger is that the wicked turn their hopes 
into expectations. Rather than longing for God to do something, say, heal a dying person, for example, they expect God to do it. When we confuse our hopes with our expectations, we exalt ourselves over God and over everyone, and that's wicked. Think about it. What does the wicked person have, and what can they hope for? They hope for money. They hope for prestige, power, promotion, honor, and what the world would refer to as the good life. But in the end, what does all that amount to? Nothing, because it's gone as soon as they are. The joy of the Lord, however, is the strength of the righteous. And that's something that nothing and nobody can take away from us. Not even death. And that's why Paul wrote, Where, O death, is your sting? This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 10, verses 29 to 30, Solomon writes, The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. Now, in the first half of this passage, Solomon is drawing a contrast of effects. More specifically, we're looking at the effect of the way of the Lord in the life of the righteous, and then we're contrasting that with the effect of the way of the Lord in the life of the wicked. Now, the way of the Lord shelters and strengthens the righteous. It's a refuge to them. It's a place of safety and security. It's strange, however, that something can have such a desirable effect for one person, but an undesirable effect for another person. The way of the Lord will crush the wicked who stand opposed to it. That's its effect on them. And this reminds me of how Jesus radically transformed the lives of those who loved and believed in him. Out of the twelve disciples, eleven of them remained faithful to him, and they all lived lives that were filled with the peace that passes all understanding. There was an exception, however. There was one disciple who betrayed Jesus, and he was filled with pride, greed, and bitterness. The way of the Lord crushed him so thoroughly that all Judas could think to do was end his inner turmoil by taking his own life. The causes were the same for the faithful eleven and for Judas, but the effects were diametrically opposite. And Solomon's going to expound on this for us in the second part of this passage, where he contrasts the righteous, who he says will never be shaken, and this Hebrew word can also be translated as removed. He contrasts that with the wicked, who he says will not dwell in the land. Well, what land is Solomon referring to here? He's referring to the promised land. This land is currently occupied by both the righteous and the wicked, as has almost always been the case. But there will come a day when the church, the children of God, will be raptured out of this world. The wicked will think that the land belongs completely to them at that point. But over the seven following years, famines, earthquakes, war, and various ecological disasters will be poured out over the earth. Our Lord will return and wipe the wicked away from the land that was promised to Abraham's descendants. The surviving remnant of the Jews will become instant believers when the Lord returns, but the Gentiles will be separated into one of two categories, sheep or goats. Which category they belong in will depend on how they treated the Jews through the great earthly tribulation. The sheep will have sheltered and provided survival necessities to the Jews, whereas the goats will have stood by and done nothing while the Jews were persecuted relentlessly. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus will reign over his earthly kingdom for 1,000 years, and only the righteous will inhabit the land that he promised so long ago. 
And that's what Solomon is telling us in this passage. Moving on to our next passage, in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 31 and 32, Solomon writes, The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Now Solomon starts this passage off by contrasting the mouth of the righteous with the tongue of the wicked. And he starts off telling us that the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but that the tongue of the perverted will be cut out. The question that would naturally arise for us is, why does their tongue get cut out? Well, Solomon's quick to answer that question in the second half of this passage, in which he tells us that the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but that the mouth of the righteous spews that which is perverted. See, the speech of the wise is always controlled, and it's beneficial to those who listen. Their words are uncompromisingly righteous. They might call it like they see it, so to speak, but they do that without trampling on other people. Their words are full of grace and peace. And this is contrasted with the speech of the wicked who speak false things. The words from their lips bring harm to others and show no regard for anyone but themselves. And we've seen time and time again in this study of Proverbs that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, as our Lord Jesus told us. That's one of the reasons that speech is so significant. It's so important. God gave us speech to set us apart from animals. Think about it. Only human beings can communicate our thoughts in words that can be articulated at our own will. Words can communicate that which is true or that which is false. They can send the military to war, for example, or they can communicate deep, heartfelt love for another person. So let me ask you this. What do your words say about what's filling and overflowing from your heart? This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, Solomon writes, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. See, in Solomon's day and age, things in the marketplace were often sold and priced according to their weight. They sometimes are today, too. It wasn't terribly uncommon back in that time for various business owners to skew or distort the balance of weight as a means of making a product appear to be heavier than it actually was so that they could charge more money for it. Solomon's telling us in this verse that dishonest business practices are an abomination to God, but that the Lord delights in people who are honest with their business practices. Now, if you think about it, we agree, people agree, that dishonest business practices are an abomination. They are to us too. That's why our leaders and politicians have created laws to govern businesses as a way of protecting the consumer from unfair business practices. The way a person conducts their business reveals whether a person has character and integrity or not. There's a story of a woman who goes into a butcher shop and tells the man behind the counter, who also happens to be the owner of the business, that she needs a four-pound chicken. And the man tells her that he has just one chicken left. He's putting the pressure on, so he goes back to get it. He comes out to put it on the scale only to find out that it's only three pounds. The woman says, well, that's too bad. I'll have to look somewhere else. The business owner quickly fires back, saying, Ah, wait, I think I have a bigger one in the back. And so he takes the three-pound chicken to the back, and he comes back out with the same chicken. As he puts it on the scale, he presses down on the scale just enough to put it at four pounds. Would you like this one, ma'am? said the owner. And the woman responded, You know what? I think I'll just take both. And the reason that this story is humorous is because we find the man's business practices to be morally bankrupt. And we find it funny that he got caught in his own web of lies. Obviously, we agree with Solomon. 
In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, Solomon writes, When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. In this verse, Solomon's contrasting a spirit of pride with a spirit of humility. While the spirit of pride brings dishonor upon a person, the person who has the proper, humble perspective of themselves and others is seen as being wise. You see, the person who's filled with pride sees themselves more highly than they see anyone else, including God, by the way. As such, they expect to be treated with greater esteem and more respect than they actually deserve. When they're treated as a common person which is the more accurate representation of who they really are, they're put off by it. The result is that they start burning bridges that they don't even realize they might need to cross again someday. So when they call up someone with whom they've already cut ties and they ask for a favor, they find that they're no longer viewed as an honorable person. Rather, they're viewed with dishonor. They're viewed as being dishonorable. On the other hand, the humble person who sees things with the accurate perspective that they're not any better or more valuable than anyone else treats people with the respect that they deserve. These types of people are bridge builders rather than being bridge burners, and people love them and value their opinions because of that. Maybe that's why Paul instructed believers, writing, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The fact is that we can't have the goal of bringing glory to Jesus and the goal of bringing glory and honor to ourselves at the same time. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, Solomon writes, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. The contrast that Solomon's laid out for us in this verse is between integrity and crookedness. More specifically, he's referring to the way that integrity will guide a righteous person, and he's contrasting that with how the crookedness of the wicked will destroy them. It'll be their own downfall. I'm reminded of a time when, as a 12-year-old kid who'd never gone skiing before, I went to a resort in the mountains with some other kids who were experienced skiers. Well, too proud to take lessons, I thought that I could just put the skis on and go. And, and I, you know, I did it, and it worked for a little while, until I realized that I didn't know how to stop. Well, my friends had made it all look so easy, but I suddenly realized that the old adage is true. Looks indeed can be very deceiving. My only option was to fall down and hope that I could stop that way. Unfortunately, uh, that did the trick before I hit a tree or another person. But I was still too prideful to learn from my mistake. After only a few minutes, I gave it another shot, only to find that I still couldn't get myself to stop. Well, I've learned a lot since then. More specifically, I've learned that if there's something that I don't know how to do, learn it. See, we all have moments when we need guidance, and the result of not seeking guidance in those moments can be disastrous. If integrity isn't guiding us, then what is? Solomon tells us that the alternative is crookedness, and the life guided by crookedness hits a dead end at destruction. With that in mind, I think we can all see that integrity is a much safer guide through life. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4, Solomon writes, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches or righteousness? Which do you value more? That's the question that Solomon's asking here as he contrasts them. The Bible has quite a bit to say about the day of wrath. Above all, it's something to be feared. We don't want to find ourselves at the receiving end of God's wrath. We might think that life can be 
difficult or painful at moments, but as the saying goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. Paul starts off the book of Romans talking about God's general wrath, his constant wrath, writing that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's from Romans chapter 1 verse 18. See, this is God's general wrath against sin, which is revealed constantly, but that's different from the day of wrath. Scores of prophetic passages in scripture point forward to the day when God will step in and say, enough! Once the church is raptured, the entire earth will be enveloped in a constant state of wrath and judgment. But this will still be nothing compared to the day when God pours out his wrath upon the earth. John tells us in the book of Revelation, in which he was given a glimpse of this day, that he, quote, heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. That's from Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. At that point, it'll be too late for anyone to come to the Lord in repentance or for salvation, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, whose influence upon the earth will be removed. He's the one who convicts us. He's the one who shows us our need for salvation. Once he's gone, nobody will come to repentance. In the end, the only hope that any person will have of escaping God's wrath is God's own righteousness. Riches won't be able to protect the wicked, and Peter tells us that it's all going to burn. But that's why the most important decision a person can make is whether they put a greater value on riches or righteousness. Riches can have influence and persuasive power with people, but it won't with God. The righteousness of Christ, however, will protect those who have trusted in him for salvation. Money will prove to be nothing more than a worthless shield made of paper on the day of God's wrath. That's made even more evident in the verse that Solomon uses to follow that up with in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 5. He writes, The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. In this verse, Solomon's contrasting the result of one's decision to either follow or reject God's righteousness as revealed and made available through Christ alone. The word that Solomon uses to describe those who have been faithful is blameless, which is actually the same Hebrew word that was used to describe animal sacrifices. It carries the implication that the object, which is blameless, is without blemish or without fault. Some translations render this word perfect. The wicked, on the other hand, are full of faults. They're full of imperfections. They're like a pot that's cracked under the heat of the sun, rendering themselves unable to hold an ounce of righteousness. They similarly don't have an ounce of God's righteousness within themselves. The wicked are digging their own graves, and they insist on laying in them. And this is contrasted with the person who submits themselves to the hand of the divine potter, who sees the cracks in a broken pot, and he fills it in with his own perfect righteousness. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul said that the person who is blameless and who has avoided wickedness will, quote, be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. If we're walking in our own way and doing things the way we want to do things, we're actually running away from God. The wise person seeks God's righteousness because that's all that lasts. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. 
This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.